0: Good afternoon, this is Dr. Dan Guerra, and today is the 4th of June, 2023. Talking about macrophages and patterning between M1 and M2 polarity, and it has been shown that DNA methylation plays a role in that phenomena. In particular, When DNA methylation is inhibited in macrophages, specifically via the deletion of DNMT1, DNA methyltransferase 1, what occurs is an enhanced alternative macrophage polarity and activation. That alternative is to the M2 phase. So you get suppressed inflammation if you inhibit methylation. So what does that mean? It means that methylation is linked to M1 polarity at least in terms of the pathophysiological state as it was measured in this particular study. (coughs) So as it turns out that the particular locus of methylation that is controlled um, in this particular regard, was the PPAR gamma 1 promoter. So we're going to get into that in some detail, but just want to give you that as a heads up to start today's lecture. <laughs> now, I want to give you a little bit more clinical insight here. There is a process known as obesity hypoventilation syndrome. And it's linked to severe obesity, okay? So it's a daytime hypercapnia. I'll give you the specific clinical rundown. Daytime hypercapnia of greater than 45 millimolar um, carbon dioxide, partial pressure of carbon dioxide with the obese patient. And you get a sleep disordered breathing as well and there's no other associated asthmatic hypoventilation. And in fact, over 90% of the patients with this hypoventilation syndrome um, are directly linked to obesity and to other kinds of pathologies linked to the lack of uh, good sleep structure. So they also have sleep apnea. So hypoventilation syndrome, which is linked to obesity, that's called OHS, is essentially a subtype of obesity-linked sleep apnea. Okay. So people wake up during sleep apnea because the levels of carbon dioxide build up in the blood, which means they're not ventilating correctly so you should be aware of the fact uh particularly if you're obese that this hypoventilation syndrome has been linked to long-term metabolic cardiovascular and cognitive uh, dysfunction and it also then when people survive this and carry hypoventilation syndrome for a long period of time while they're obese it also is linked to higher levels of early mortality. Now, people have studied this hypoventilation syndrome within the backdrop of understanding chronic intermittent hypoxia. So chronic intermittent hypoxia is what is directly um, diagnosed if you are diagnosed with obese uh, sleep apnea. And this has been linked to hyperlipidemia, and insulin resistance, and inflammation. So the treatment for sleep apnea, obesity-linked, or for obesity hypoventilation syndrome, which is considered perhaps more of an acute phase of OSA, is the application of what's called a positive airway pressure during sleep or a PAP so it's pretty clear that pap treatment does associate with a decrease in morbidities and also ultimately mortality now what are the mechanisms involved in the control over this pap response that's what's uh, being asked in this paper here looking at a paper that was published in the journal called chest in 2016. so what they discovered In this uh, study, was that there were epigenetic phenomena associated with the beneficial effects of positive airway pressure, particularly in those patients who had obesity-linked sleep apnea. So the epigenetic regulation seems to be linked directly to the metabolic dysfunction and as well as atherosclerosis you know that there is metabolic syndrome and a direct link to atherosclerosis in obese patients who also suffer from sleep apnea. Looking more carefully at this process, you realize that monophytes, monocytes, excuse me, and macrophages are directly linked to the sleep apnea phenomenon. So we're right back into what we're talking about just last lecture so what is the macrophage phenotype that is linked to this sleep apnea and as you might guess that phenotype is going to have two components we just now have discussed one is m1 polarity so pro-inflammatory and number two at the epigenetic level higher levels of methylation Methylation at specific genetic loci, that's correct. Methylation specifically on PPAR gamma, that's peroxisome proliferator, uh, activated receptor gamma. So we're going to have to talk more about that particular uh, transcription factor and we are going to um, directly, okay? So now you've got a clinical aspect and you've got a couple of biochemical, bio, pathobiochemical uh markers so let's add some more detail which is what we always do in authentic biochemistry you know that there's a protein called fatty acid binding protein we've talked about it it's also known in the literature as adipocyte fatty acid binding process known as afabp So you find that in the literature going up to about 2012, 2014. And then after that, it's all FABP4. It's the same protein. Now, FABP4 is an adipokine. So you remember what adipokines are? These are endocrine hormones generated in the adipose, like leptin, like adiponectin. So, FABP4, a fatty acid binding protein, is essentially an adipocyte. And we've talked about it. I know I say that a lot, but I do because I want you to go back and listen to previous lectures. Someday I'm going to try to catalog <coughs> using keywords all of my lectures. Quite a task, and certainly I could use help. And I'm willing to take volunteers anytime. So, FABP. 4 belongs to the calicin protein superfamily. And it has sequence, because of that, it has sequence similarity to the myelin P2 protein. Myelin P2 protein is also known as FABP8. But we're talking about FABP4. And I can tell you that this protein is expressed in adipocytes to approximately 1% of total soluble polypeptide in healthy adipose tissue. So FABP4 reversibly binds to multiple types of hydrophobic ligands. Now, what would those be in the adipose? Obviously fatty acids, particularly very long chain polyunsaturated fatty acids such as that's correct arachidonate and icosapentaenoic acids okay now you know that if you oxygenate very long chain polyunsaturated fatty acids either the omega-6 which is arachidonate or the omega-3 which is epa or dha you're going to generate eicosanoids and you remember that eicosanoids are just oxygenated c20 fatty acids but we group them together uh, with the no gas, which is obviously a C22. <clears throat> but not only the fatty acids, but lipids containing those polyunsaturated fatty acids will be bound to FABP4. What does this binding do? Now, remember when I say binding, it's a hydrophobic interaction. It's not a covalent bond. That doesn't mean that it's easily dissociated, just like the hydrophobic bonding that occurs in lipoproteins doesn't mean that those lipids freely dissociate. In fact, because it's a hydrophobic interaction, in any aqueous system, which is cytosol or serum, two large compartments, right, those lipids are going to be maintained very uh closely bound to FABP4, okay? So it looks like this protein, this adipokine, is involved in lipid trafficking. So what is described because of, well, kind of like an error in the literature because people were calling a lot of proteins this in the early uh, 2000s, but they're going to call this an intracellular lipid chaperone. I'm saying it's sort of an error because a lot of other chaperones actually do get some covalent bonding to their ligand. And chaperones typically are more involved in um, meeting the requirements to translocate the bound cargo directly into organelles. So that was the original discussion of chaperones back when they were first discovered in association with T-shock proteins. Uh, And moving ligands in and out of the endoplasmic reticulum and the mitochondrial matrix. Okay, just so you understand that um, the history of that literature. Okay, but they are intracellular lipid chaperones, intracellular, and they do transport fatty acid cargo and lipids between organelles. What are the organelles most often associated with FABPs? The nucleus. So that means those lipids could be involved in the regulation of gene expression. So they could be functioning epigenetically, as we've determined before. When we discussed uh, sense restrictive DHA, if you remember that way back. But you also find FABP bound to lipids in the mitochondria, in the peroxisome, and yes, also in the ER. So you could argue they're acting like chaperones, but they're lipid chaperones. They're not chaperoning polypeptides, right? So FABPs, because they move lipids around, are playing a role in lipid oxidation and peroxidation and direct epigenetic transcriptional regulation, as well as certain signaling phenomena and co-trafficking of other bound hydrophobic substances, inter organello. most of these hydrophobic substances, of course, are gonna be other lipids, but what I'm telling you is not just very long chain fatty acids. Even saturated fatty acids can be moved around like that. So, yeah, it looks like FABP4 is working in concert with membrane lipid rafts, which you know will mobilize lipids from various membranous membranous compartments, uh, ultimately to the plasma membrane, but also to endosomal uh, domains within the cell. So these FABPs are really significant in regulating Fundamentally, the activity associated with utilizing triacylglycerol in oil lipid droplets during the process of moving from glycolytic bioenergetics to fatty acid beta-oxidation in those cells that store some triacylglycerol neutral lipid in oil droplets, such as myocytes. And of course, adipocytes, to name a few. Okay, and because of the link to eicosanoids it appears that the translocation of the fatty acids, either associated with lipid, cholesterol, lipid, or sphingolipid, into these various compartments, is also going to expose those fatty acids to cyclooxygenase, lipoxygenase, and P four fifty monooxygenases, and dioxygenases. Meaning what? They're going to pr- they're going to prepare a platform or essentially a substrate for eicosanoid production because of that fatty acid binding protein 4 has been linked to the stabilization of the highly reactive lipoxygenase products known as leukotrienes peptidolucotrienes which if you recall from your lipid lectures the ones that i gave you hopefully um peptido Glucotrienes are those associated with glutathione or with dipeptide forms of glutathione, right? Because remember, glutathione is a tripeptide, okay? So you understand now, if these lipids are associated with glutathione, what else are we now inveighing into this discussion? The control over reactive oxygen levels, right? Because glutathione can quench that with the help, of course, of the DPH and glutathione reductase, glutathione peroxidase, and then steps like that. So the human FABP4 is a pretty small protein. It has 132 amino acids. It has a molecular mass, which is very similar um, to a protein I worked on way back when I was a youth <laughs> uh, called aso carrier protein. Now, acyl carrier protein is actually only about 9,000 daltons, but when you isolate it, uh, and you run it on a polyacrylamide gel, it looks much. Uh, ha- it looks like it has a higher mass. So this polypeptide actually has an authentic mass of fourteen point six kilodaltons. ACP only an authentic mass of about nine kilodaltons. But sometimes it uh, it appeared to be the, uh, a larger protein because of the acidity of acyl carrier protein in that gel um, system. Now, FABP4 expression increases during adipocyte differentiation, and because of that, it seems to be linked to that differentiation. At least it's a good marker for it. Along with that, the macrophages that you find in the adipose also seem to be linked to the relative concentration of fatty acid-binding protein four. So that means there's a host of pro inflammatory factors that are linked to the translation and then mobilization of fatty acid binding proteins in macrophages in diseased adipose. Ultimately, then, there has been a direct link of FABP4 to foam cell formation now you can see why because if this adipokine is trafficking polyunsaturated fatty acids and they're prone to oxidation or i also mentioned peroxidation and you know that those are stable products formed during foam cell biogenesis you understand why this protein would be directly linked to that and in fact it seems like it stimulates foam cell formation at least in the adipocyte background So remember that foam cell formation is linked to LDL. And you know that LDL is altered in serum concentration based on obesity and one of the most common diseases linked to obesity, type two diabetes. So there's been association with high circulating low density lipoprotein, foam cell formation, and relative concentrations of insulin and glucose and fatty acid in the serum. In yeah. fact, increased concentrations of FABP4 have been linked to insulin resistance. And of course, that goes back to type 2 diabetes, right? And to obesity and to, because of the nitric oxide involvement, remember vasoconstriction vasodilation. That's correct, metabolic syndrome, the hypertension and metabolic syndrome. <clears throat> now let's go on. Peroxisome proliferative activator gamma and the protein known as CCAAT enhancer binding protein or C slash EBP seem to regulate most of the transcription factors remember the genes that are linked to adipogenesis so ppar gamma promotes the proliferation and differentiation of adipocytes because it is the transcriptional regulator of that process and it confers insulin sensitivity sensitivity to adipocytes And that increase in insulin sensitivity promotes the expression of PPAR gamma. So you can understand that PPAR gamma is a protein whose uh, function seems to regulate adipogenesis and maintain insulin sensitivity in the adipose tissue. Okay, so therefore, PPAR gamma controlling FABP4 would have an effect, some kind of direct effect, on the modulation of accelerating and differentiating adipogenesis. Yes, FABP4 is controlled at the transcriptional level by PPAR PPAR gamma and by that other transcription factor. C slash EBP, that would be in a healthy system. In the obese patient, that control of expression of FABP is altered. Now, we just learned from a paper back in 2016, what? The level of methylation playing a role in the expression of PPAR gamma. So a suppression of PPA or gamma because of high methylation has been linked to inflammation from resident macrophages and diseased adipose. So it could be that that regulation directly involving FABP then, subsequent transcriptional control may be regulated epigenetically. Now, there are other uh, biochemical actions that we have to remember in terms of the inflammatory response, and those include the activation of the I-kappa-kappa, NF-kappa-B, and the C-jun N-terminal kinase, or the junk kinase activator protein 1. Now, that junk kinase activator protein 1 is sometimes just called AP1. That's not an adapter protein, that's an activator protein. So keep that in mind when you're reading the literature. Now, we know that. Now, know that FABP enhances another important enzymatic activity while it's controlling adipogenesis, as under the regulation of PPR gamma, as under the epigenetic control via methylation pattern. Yes, FABP4. Enhances the hormone sensitive lipase activity. The hormone sensitive lipase activity is going to release free fatty acid. So FABP4 is an adipokine that directly influences insulin sensitivity. Now, the expression of that protein is induced during adipocyte differentiation. And I already told you, it's transcriptionally regulated by. PPAR gamma. This has been shown using PPAR gamma agonists. What are some of the agonists of PPAR gamma? Very long chain, saturated fatty acids. Okay, But insulin also, as I just told you, induces PPAR gamma transcription. Therefore, insulin down-regulates only microvesicle-free mediated, and microvesicles secreted FABP4. But the release of FABP4 via those adipocyte microvesicles is only a very small fraction of the protein, and therefore its affinity to fatty acids and its biological activity. Now, add this. FABP4 double knockout mice exhibit a defect in beta adrenergic stimulated insulin secretion. That's correct. So even in lean mice, that would suggest a direct effect on beta cell function. Okay. So why would FABP4 and the adipose... Play a role in the pancreas because expression of FABP4 in beta cells from the pancreas doesn't seem to be observed. So, this means it has the adipokine effect. You see, FABP4 is not simply a protein that's functional when it's in situ in the tissue, it's acting hormonally. So, that means it can translocate, that means its functions can be also delivered to different cellular systems such as the pancreas so higher serum fabp4 correlates with higher insulin response in those patients suffering from type 2 diabetes also you get a higher insulinogenic index in the non-diabetics so the other side of that coin flip it over fabp4 levels are actually suppressed under refeeding that's postprandial and then refeeding or insulin okay so now you get that now you get that picture here which is much more complex than you would have thought just discussing this is an adipokine regulated and involved. It seems to be in foam cell formation. That's the pathobiochemical response. The biochemical activity of FABP4 promotes insulin sensitivity. So it has multiple roles because it has the function of binding to fatty acids. And one of the functions that come as a sequelae to that would be transporting those fatty acids to areas in the cell where those fatty acids be converted, converted to pro-inflammatory eicosanoids, which would then lead to a patho biochemical state. Okay. Once again, you listen to uh, authentic biochemistry because you you're hearing the authentic story here. You now, you never consider, please. I mean, I know people say never say never. I don't say never say never i do say please don't get in the practice of thinking that any biochemical any molecule in the cell it's naturally produced or naturally delivered in the diet could be considered always a pathological event Sometimes it can be treated as one, and sometimes it can induce a pathological event downstream. And yet, when it's in its normal functioning state, it will prevent other types of pathology, such as we mentioned, I think, a couple lectures ago, how some of these proteins that seem to be all involved in inflammatory responses in obese patients actually control cell division, and therefore have a a governor on, a control over the possibility for neoplasia leading to oncogenesis. So manipulating these proteins by using any number of means you might consider, any kind of pharmacological therapeutic intervention will have always a pleiotropic effect. And by pleiotropic, I means more than just a positive effect, typically a negative effect, and often not where it's being examined. Therefore, it will go occult until it's determined. Dr. Dan Guerra, 4 June 2023, saying bye for now.